Hello and welcome to another COVID-19 special edition Pipettes and Politics. I'm Ben Korb. I'm the Director of Public Affairs for the American Society for Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. And this week we're going to have a lot of interviews with federal types, folks at the National Science Foundation, folks at the NIH about how their agencies are helping to support medical researchers, biological researchers, and scientists uh, during this pandemic time. Today, I'm very excited to have joining me Joanne Torno. Joanne is the Assistant Director for Biological Sciences at the National Science Foundation. Joanne, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Ben. I'm delighted to be here. How are you doing during all of this? It's kind of unique times, so I like to, you know, have a human conversation. So just you, you managing through all of this okay? You keeping healthy? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. We are doing okay. I think that it's uh, a it is a crazy, unusual time for sure. Uh, we have uh, at the NSF we have made this transition to a virtual environment. Uh, I think it was pretty disruptive to begin with, but it, NSF was pretty well positioned to make that pivot. And uh, it is really remarkable how well uh, we have adapted to the new normal, if you will. Sure. Uh, and we are working to sort of keep us all engaged, but, right? We like to think that we are still working together, even though we're physically apart. Right. It, that, that's a, a big challenge, right? Is to kind of you know be connected with your team, even though you're not really in any physical way connected with your team. Um, exactly. One of the early questions I wanted to ask you for listeners who maybe aren't as familiar, the National Science Foundation in your directorate where you're focused on biological sciences, what's the difference between research in biological sciences that you fund and research in biomedicine or biology at the National Institutes of Health? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so biology underpins all of the uh, research that we do and that the NIH does, but there are clear differences in our missions. Uh, the, at, at NSF, in the Biological Sciences Directorate in particular, we're focusing on the non-medical, non-clinical biological research. There's certainly connections to the work that is done at the NIH, uh, and oh, in many ways, I think that we are, have complementary missions that, that uh, help each other. We also have a, you know, uh, support the broader range of biology that includes all the way, you know, from the molecular all the way to the environmental and ecosystem science. So there's a, a bit of a broader mandate to think across all of the species on the planet and their engagement in the environment. That's helpful. And, and also, is it fair to say that more of the research that happens, it's funded by the National Science Foundation, falls more on the discovery and basic side than the, you know, the, the clinical side of research and the translational side, particularly in the biology, or is that an unfair way to classify it? No, I think that's a very fair way to classify it. And, and I will say that um, there is a um, parts of the National Science Foundation that are um, uh, doing work or funding work that is um, a little more closely related to the biomedical, certainly through our engineering directorate, mm -hmm. um, through our uh, Computer and Information Science and Engineering Directorate, there are opportunities for research that's a little bit more in that space. And there are opportunities for, I mean, there's across the board at NSF, we are in the basic fundamental research space, but always thinking of, there are opportunities for thinking about how 
some of the research that we fund, the outcomes of the research that we fund can move into a more translational space. Right. And there's a whole set of programs at NSF that are focusing on helping with some of those translations. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I found interesting, um, you know, a lot of the members for my society, for the American Society for Biochemistry and Molecular Biology, they're they're more funded by the NIH and specifically the NIGMS, the General Medical Sciences. But we found there were as many members of mine that are receiving funding from the National Science Foundation through the bio, the biology directorate um, yeah. that were funded at NSF, not through the biology, biological directorate. Like there was a whole nother, you know, there's a whole other streams of research that a, a biochemist and a molecular biologist could be getting funding from that isn't just inside the, the biological sciences directorate, which was just, it was interesting yeah. to find that and to dig into there. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think there's probably a fair amount of funding for your members through the math and physical sciences directorate through the because their physics division, the chemistry division, both have programs that connect with uh, the biological sciences. And in fact, um, within NSF, we do, uh, we have a fair number of collaborations with, between right. the directorates in that space. And in fact, we also collaborate on a number of programs with the NIH. Well, your, your poor peer reviewers now are going to get more applications because my folks have time <laughs> to write more applications. So um, there they go. Um, yeah. What's it like now? If uh, you know, what sort of programs or what sort of special things are you all doing at the National Science Foundation to help um, to help support a, an NSF-funded investigator in this really unique time? We, you know, we've had conversations with the NIH about you know no-cost extensions and you know how they're mm -hmm. helping to operate. What's the National Science Foundation doing? So we're doing very similar things. Uh, the uh, Office of Management and Budget extended a number of flexibilities that the funding agencies could use as we support our uh, grantees. Of course, NSF has always um, had a mechanism for allowing no-cost extensions, and those are still in place. That uh, we will be, uh, we do anticipate that we'll be able to be um, very receptive to the community as they request no-cost extensions. We understand this. What, that this is happening across the board to everybody. Uh, we have um, also um, been doing a lot of uh, outreach to the community to keep them informed about the kinds of flexibilities they have, right? So there's the, a big flexibility is the ability to continue to pay people on, who are on our uh, awards Okay. even though they're not able to carry out the research, which is something that would not have been possible really under the, you know, that's not really what you should be doing with the grants fund. Right. Sure. <laughs> You're supposed yeah. to be paying people to do the work, but, you know, to make sure that you can keep those students, the technicians, postdocs on, who are being, this is their source of support so that uh, we, they don't, the, the PIs aren't losing their workforce and you're, and these uh, people are not, uh, losing their jobs. That's so really important. That was, I think, really important. Yeah. Yeah, that's great that you're doing that. Uh, uh, what about are there other um, are there special funding opportunities that have come out of this? Not, uh, I suppose there, there's two different threads to that question. And one is, are there special kind of COVID related opportunities that you're identifying or have identified? Um, and are there special um, funding supplements that people can maybe get access to? You know, to help to help bridge a gap or to help make up for something that was lost during this. Right. So I'll take the first part first. Uh, sure. 
prior to, so um, in early March, NSF put out what we call a Dear Colleague letter uh, to indicate to the community uh, proposals that we're interested in receiving. This is outside of a regular, one of our regular solicitations, uh, uh, that we were interested in receiving proposals from the community through our rapid research uh, funding mechanism, which is a, a special mechanism that we have that allows us to turn around in a very short order uh, uh, pro uh, um, proposals received out to awards uh, for very time-sensitive, uh, urgent research needs. And we put out a Dear Colleague letter that we were interested in receiving them in any program that we cur that's currently existing at NSF uh, could receive these proposals. We have, um, I'm looking for my notes here, uh, as of yesterday, uh, we've received almost 5,300 inquiries from the community about uh, submitting such a proposal. Uh, we have accepted, there's been over 800 proposals now submitted to NSF, and we have made uh, nearly 300 awards through the RAPID mechanism. Wow. And we were fortunate um, in that in the second supplementary funding um, bill that was passed by the Congress, that mm -hmm. there was $75 million that came to the National Science Foundation specifically for research related to uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus and COVID-19. Okay. And we are using those funds to support these awards. Well, that's great. And it, th I think if I'm remembering all of the bills that have come out, I, I think that was the only... Um, the only bill that provided uh, the National Science Foundation with funding. The NIH has gotten several billion throughout a couple of the different pieces of legislation, but that's the only kind of pump of money that NSF got. That's correct. Great. That's correct. And it's certainly appropriate for there to be um, significant funds for the NIH with the focus on therapeutics and vaccine development right. um, and so on. I think that there's been a real... Uh, interesting portfolio of projects that have come to the NSF uh, that range across the entire foundation. Uh, NS, uh, Bio has certainly seen a large number of proposals, but uh, there's been a, a um, as great a number, or if not more, into our engineering directorate, into our social behavioral and economic sciences directorate. There's a number of things that are happening through the education directorate as well, because that's another major impact that we have seen at the universities is, and really across the whole um, society, is this immediate switch that was required to remote learning. And uh, the a lot of disruptions there, right. right? But there are things that we can be learning about how well that's going and are there best practices that we could use that could improve that process. So the other part of your question yes. was about supplements. Right. So uh, so am I, if I can divide that into two parts, it, for, first of all, we, we, already, we do give supplements already as a matter of course. That's something that we have always supported okay. uh, supplements to existing awards for a variety of purposes. And in fact, I'll just mention one if I could. That, um, yeah, please we, do. We have one, uh, I mean, many awardees, but one awardee in particular uh, at the uh, Washington University in St. Louis had been funded prior through our career program to uh, on uh, in his area of expertise is protein mechanics. This is Greg Bowman, um, and he set up something called Folding at Home, which is a network that really that uses people volunteer time on their home computers to run simulations of protein folding. Wow. And okay. He asked 
for a uh, supplement in the early part of this year to be able to expand that network um, and really turn the entire focus of folding at home on the uh, structural um, uh, the on structures of the proteins that are on the uh, uh, coat of the uh, coronavirus. And it's and it has really been amazing the how many people there's this huge ramp up in the number of people who have been volunteering their computer time to uh, allow the uh, a sort of a massive effort on on simulating protein folding. Major really corporations have donated supplies there, so that's something that that was just a uh, through our regular supplementary process to really ramp up a research effort. Now you're asking about the supplements for helping the research efforts that were um, had to ramp down yes, as the universities yes. closed up. And, um, and, and we have been talking a lot about that uh, within NSF okay. in the broader picture of the recovery. So there are um, a lot of facets to this recovery. There's the lost productivity on our regular research awards. There's the interruptions to the students' Uh, education and they're particularly some of them are getting ready to they're getting ready to defend their uh, uh, dissertations and so on there's disruptions to our large facilities there have been um, a, you know just across the board there's a, a number of different elements that we're looking at for what we would be able to do um, either within existing resources or potentially requiring new resources in order to be able to make that happen um, at the at the moment, we are we really don't have the resources at NSF to be able to make everybody whole because everybody's been affected. But we certainly are uh, looking at the ways in which we are going to be able to support recovery efforts and what that process is going to be and sort of the scope and resource need that we're going to have. Yeah, it's still a little bit of an unknown, right? I mean, for one, right. we, we don't know when we're moving out of this kind of locked down phase that we're in. Um, and then it's it's such a rare thing that the entire enterprise is is in this mode right now or in this posture um, that it's hard to tell exactly what the need is going to be. But it seems pretty clear that there is there certainly will be a need, um, and particularly for maybe the maybe at risk investigators or people who, you know, were earlier, earlier stage investigators, you know, there are some segment of the research community that are likely to be more impacted than, than others. Absolutely. And I think, so there's, you've hit exactly on something that we're focusing a lot on it is the students, the early career investigators, because disruptions for them are more dramatic and will have a longer lasting impact than for folks who are more senior in their careers. Now, thinking about the individuals, right? But right. that's certainly not going to be, I mean, I'm speaking in generalizations, of course. And there are different institutions that are going to be more vulnerable than others. will sure. have different kinds of resources available to them to be able to absorb the, um, the losses that all of the institutions are facing right now as their, um, all of their um, operations are disrupted. Um, and, and I think it's also true that in there's a continuum of impact from lost productivity to the total loss of a project right there are some projects that we fund that you need to have the whole thing run as it was proposed in order to actually 
um, have an answer. That is, partially doing it just means that you've, it's a lost investment, right? And so I think that there's, it, it's, uh, it's going to be a pretty complex system to be thinking about where we can um, have uh, our, our, most, our best impact and do it in a way that really, that does help folks who are, are most vulnerable and projects that are most vulnerable. It, it's, it is a really difficult and challenging and complex environment, but it is also um, nice, calming maybe to know that these are thoughts that you're having now, you know, that you're recognizing that the complexity of it and the different needs and that you're beginning to, to kind of put some thought into how to navigate through that. And so I'm sure the community is really, um, you may not hear it as much as people are, are worried about things, but I'm sure the community is really appreciative of the fact that you're thinking about that and, and trying to design ways around that. What a, yeah, absolutely. What um, specifically um, grant applications and, and peer review have, have those been things that have been impacted by the shutdown that we're in that we're in? So peer review at NSF has really not been impacted. Um, I would say that I mean I, I would say that it's changed for sure because it's all virtual. We have been doing all of our panels. Uh, the panel review in a virtual environment. In fact, we had a panel this morning and I visited with the panelists from my office here at home. Uh, and, and they were all in their various spaces in their homes. So uh, we had already um, been uh, pretty proactive at NSF about developing the virtual technology so that we could be bringing in panelists, uh, either as a few virtual panelists joining a, an on-site panel or fully virtual panel. So we had some experience in being able to run virtual panels. And uh, we did, we actually made the switch pretty successfully. In bio, we've run over 20 panels in the last few weeks that are completely virtual. Have, so uh, that ask, work is- If, if you don't yeah. mind if I ask, um, have you found, have you had feedback? Have you, what I'm curious about is that people that have, have never done a virtual panel before, have you heard from them? Mm -hmm. Did they like it? Did they hate it? Would, you know, did they have a, you know, are they, are they open to this being more the norm going forward even after this pandemic? I, I just, I'm just wondering if you've heard anything from people about that. So I think, so we, yes, we have heard. I think, so I think some people are like, this is great. I w I'll never have to travel again. And there's others who t completely miss the, in the personal uh, interactions that happen, like sort of at the breaks or go to dinner afterwards. And right. so you do, there is a trade-off if you have something that's um, in person versus uh, the virtual. But I, one thing I have learned <clears throat> is that 100% virtual is much more similar in the interactions that people have than a mixed panel because everybody's virtual and we're using zoom.gov for the virtual technology uh, and so everybody can see everybody and everybody's sort of um, everybody's equal in some way across the screen uh, when you have a mixed panel you've got to constantly remember when you're in the, in the group that's in the room to include the people who are on the screen. So I think we're going to have some uh, really interesting lessons learned from how to uh, maximize the effectiveness of these different mechanisms for doing the review. We certainly, I think the use of the virtual technology um, helps us to engage more broadly for people who really, who either, who can't travel 
or who have other commitments that keep them from being able to participate um, because they have to travel all the way to D.C. And, you know, so, the, right. so there's definitely some advantages for us to being able to maximize our use in that regard. I like that. And and it's not a it's interesting to hear that you you're finding a full virtual panel and a review panel is maybe closer to um, a full in person than like the mixed thing, right? Where, where some people yeah. are and some people aren't right. You know, it's, there's a concern there. Yeah. So what that's I, just my anecdotal sure. observation was yeah. not scientific. No. <laughs> and it's important, but, uh, important to note that, right. That there's not a, yeah. you know, an, an adequate sample size to be able to extrapolate a real, uh, a real representation, but it, it's interesting to hear that. And it's something that we're interested in. And we at ASBNB, we've put out a survey for people, um, that have been participating in NIH peer review panels because we're one of the things that we're, we find curious is is one are we are we getting the same quality of peer review and I think the answer is largely yes but if mm-hmm. if we were to move to a phase after the pandemic where we use these virtual review panels more often would more people be able to participate you know with the people who have childcare needs or financial concerns or timing things you know would they be able to participate in peer review? a little more freely than they were able to before because it's done in a virtual way. And so you end up with a more democratized sample of peer reviewers. Is it something you're curious about? Yeah. Now we, I will tell you one challenge that we had is that there was one panel that we ran actually for a program that's very relevant to this uh, current situation, which is the ecology and evolution of infectious diseases program, which is interagency, but also international. And there were a very broad time zones that had to be managed because that panel ran, I think, maybe a week or two and into the uh, shelter at home activities. So that was a real challenge for the program officers to figure out how to um, navigate the fact that we had um, the so U.S., U.K., Israel, and China all that. <laughs> we had to navigate across all those time zones. So that is a challenge that you don't have if everybody does show up in right. the same place. Someone, someone's doing it really late at night or, or really early. In the morning. <laughs> exactly. Although I, I suppose when you all come to one place, then somebody just feels like it's really late at night or really early in the morning. So <laughs> exactly. maybe, maybe, the, maybe it's not as different. Um, yeah. Here's two questions that I've asked uh, most of the people that I've interviewed. One is, what are some of the things that I that I haven't asked about or, or people aren't even really talking about right now, but there are thoughts that you have that worry you about how we get through this and how, you know, how the researchers that you support manage through? Is there a concern? Is there a thing out there that no one's really talking about, but you, you're worried about? It's kind of a tough question. I don't know. But. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if, if folks aren't talking about it, but I do worry, I worry about two things, one of which we have already talked about, which is the um, the early career investigators and uh, the ability to be resilient and, uh, you know, be able to rebound from this, given that it's an all-encompassing event. Uh, there's, it's not like one can pivot into some place where that, that's been unaffected, and so you could just pick up and move. It's sort of, it's all-encompassing across every area uh, of science, every kind of institution is impacted. And so I, I really do worry about how we're going to be resilient there. 
Okay. Uh, and the other thing for the in the sciences, the biological sciences that we're responsible for, is uh, that there are um, uh, collections, long-term data sets that we support that are uh, particularly thinking in the um, in some ways in the um, more environmental side of the house, where we do we have been funding things over you know 30, 40 years. We've just stood up a large facility in the biological sciences that, um, that is uh, the National Ecological Observatory Network, which is designed to collect data over the next 30 years. And there will be these gaps in the data collection. And um, how we will think about the impacts that has on our ability to, um, you know, for, what that's going to do to the data analyses and the, the um, conclusions that people are drawing or the inferences that they can draw from sure. the data that's been collected. And I think the other thing that's going to be really important for us to do is to um, think about how we can uh, sort of set us up to be a little, to be more resilient going forward, right? right. There were a number of places where um, I think that there's been a fair amount of research that's been done, funded by both NSF and NIH in this space, uh, yet we struggle to pull it all together. Uh, and so I think we are in a, a time now where we have more of the capabilities through artificial intelligence and machine learning, through um, the uh, big data sets that are being uh, collected and, and uh, curated, but connecting these things together that's going to be a big challenge going forward. And, that, and it, it, But it is something that we need to be thinking about right now. And the flip side of that coin is, is have there been, you know, and the remote peer review is sort of one, but have there been identifiable opportunities for a, a better way to do things? You know, now that we're in this unique environment, we have to, we're kind of experimenting on how to, having, how to manage the research enterprise in this kind of remote way. Have there been things that you've seen that are really, innovative and, and new new ways to do things that maybe will be the become the norm going forward after this even after this uh, so that's a that's a great question and I actually don't have a great answer for you right now I think that um, the that we have seen um, I mean people are people are very creative and entrepreneurial and we have seen um, efforts to think about how to uh, provide research experiences for undergraduates in the summer when you can't go in the lab. So right. uh, you can't go out into the field. So how, what are the ways in which we can still provide those experiences in this environment? And I think those that we have seen a few interesting different kinds of experiments there, but I think those things can go forward because that also ex greatly expands our capability for reaching more students for research experiences if they are not able to, uh, you know, join a, one of the research experiences yeah. uh, you know, sites and they can't do that in person. So, so, that, so yeah. I think in that education space, there will actually be some really interesting innovations that come out of this. And that'll be, that'll be an interesting space to watch. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you. This has been a really interesting conversation and I know that, um, 
I know it's not easy. I know the work that you're doing is hard and in a lot of ways thankless. So um, really thank you for your time today and thank you for the hard work that you're doing. It, it really is appreciated by the community. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciated the opportunity to talk with you. No problem. Thank you. Again, that was Joanne Turno from the National Science Foundation. This has been another special edition of Pipettes and Politics. I want to thank you for listening and uh, download the next one. We'll keep more conversations coming. Stay safe. <laughs>